Yeah. Yeah, that's it, sir. I'll be coming on in a minute. Should be able to hear me. Yep. Good evening once again, or good morning or good night, depending on where exactly in the world you're joining us from. Welcome back once again to Live from Roswell. I'm your host, Guy Malone, broadcasting to you worldwide over the Paranormal Radio Network and broadcasting live from sunny Roswell, New Mexico. Today is November 4th, 2007, and my apologies for my absence last week. I do have a real job, and I got called into work that day (laughs) or that evening. So, Joe, let's get to work on some advertisers so I can ignore that phone call next time it comes, sir. And uh, actually, ad info is posted on livefromroswell.com. If you've got something to sell to our 30 or 40,000 live listeners who do tune into this program weekly, I encourage you to check that out if you're into S&M, sales and marketing, that is. But for the rest of you who may or may not be, I really hope you enjoy uh, some music we'll be having tonight by Mike Kelly, a guy whose act I caught here in sunny Roswell, New Mexico, a couple of months ago. We'll be hearing music by him over the breaks the next couple of hours. And I, of course, do have him linked from our homepage at livefromroswell.com. Right now, if you want to hear more songs by Mike, then we're going to be playing tonight. And if you like his music, and if you happen to be tuning in from Oklahoma, USA, Mike will be playing live the next two weekends in Tulsa, Oklahoma. At least that is true according to the schedule he's got posted on his MySpace page. So you can check that out at your leisure if you like our musical guest over the next couple of hours. Now, back on to Sonny Roswell and some UFO news. I don't know if all of you out there do keep up with UFO news that floats around from around the world. But for tonight's show, I'm going to start off by sharing with you some very interesting news tidbits that are involving presidential candidates. The L.A. Times and Fox News, among several other sources, have been reporting on the UFO um, interests, we'll say, by a couple of would-be presidents of the United States of America. So aside from just sharing those news flashes with you, and I've got links to some articles on livefromroswell.com, tonight I've got a guest who could not be better qualified for us to segue away from this topic after I'm done sharing the actual news articles themselves. If you're a regular listener or a follower of ExoPolitics, you might think I'm referring to Stephen Bassett, uh, Mr. UFOs and Politics himself from Washington, D.C. But no, actually tonight we have in the queue Grant Cameron, and he is best known in this field for his work on the presidential UFO website. And that site details a very interesting history of United States presidents and their involvement in the UFOs or in the UFO field, all the way back to Eisenhower, President Truman, President Kennedy, etc., etc., etc. Grant actually lives in Canada, but he lectures in the United States on this topic whenever they'll let him cross the border anyway. And yes, there is a story behind that comment that we'll be getting to soon. And Grant is also the author of the book, UFOs, MJ-12, and the Government. Uh, Grant's full bio and a link to his presidential UFO website are featured right now on livefromroswell.com, so you can begin to check that out and get familiar with him before we bring him on. But I will tell you why it is so appropriate and fortunate to have him on tonight. Um, November 1st, the L.A. Times ran an article 
that was entitled UFOs Invade Presidential Debate. Debate, And um, what that one talks about is that the presidential candidate or hopeful, Kuchinik, if I'm saying it right, Kuchinik, um, Dennis J. Kuchinik, um, was written about in a book by Shirley MacLaine recently that claimed he saw a UFO, a large triangular one, hovering over the home of Shirley MacLaine for about 10 minutes years ago when he was visiting her home. Turns out Shirley MacLaine is the goddaughter or godmother of Kuchinik's daughter. So he says he, he did, or she reported in his book that he saw a UFO floating above her house. And it actually says that um, in the book, what Shirley MacLaine wrote was that he felt a connection to his heart and her direction in his mind. Now, that's uh, Shirley MacLaine's claim, but somehow or other, this report has caught up with him, so to speak, while he's on the campaign trail. While he was actually, um, he, he dismissed and had spokespeople dismiss the report previously. Um, when this was first brought up, he had his spokesperson blow it off somehow or other. But according to the L.A. Times article, I've got linked right now from the top of livefromroswell.com, it says, but Tuesday night, Kuchnik had no wiggle room when moderator Tim Russer posed this question live on television during the Democratic debate in Philadelphia. And he actually hit the quote from the L.A. Times article is, the godmother of your daughter, Shirley MacLaine, writes in her new book that you've cited a UFO over her home in Washington State and that you found the encounter extremely moving, that it was a triangular craft, silent and hovering, that you felt a connection to your heart and heard direction in your mind. And the moderator asks him, now, did you see a UFO? Replied Kuchinik, I did. And that was on during the presidential debate that was being held earlier this week in Philadelphia, during a Democratic debate. And also in another book, uh, another report that I've got linked up, her book by Shirley McLean is called Saging While Aging. And... The Democratic presidential, he's claimed he saw a UFO, according to her, that he found it moving, describes the smell of roses, and he looked up and watched this for about 10 minutes or so. That's something that he did not originally want following him into the campaign trail, but it's not just this one singular um, presidential hopeful, Democratic hopeful that has uh, got a little bit of UFO history. Years ago, our New Mexico governor, right here from Roswell, Bill Richardson, he's also a presidential hopeful, he wrote in the foreword of a book on the Roswell incident that he does not think that the Roswell incident has been fully explained to the satisfaction of his constituents. Well, those words are now coming back to haunt him on the campaign trail in the same way that Kuchinik's experience is doing for him. I have another link up to a rather critical article written by the American Thinker but you can at least get the scoop on it from clicking that link. It's kind of a critical article, kind of bashing Richardson for, oh, pandering to UFO nuts or something like that, but it does give the complete story of what he wrote. And two weeks ago, you may remember, I posted a link up, which I still, for tonight's show, I went ahead and left up on livefromroswell.com, that both Fox News and ExoPolitics Radio were reporting uh, two weeks ago on the fact that former New York City mayor and presidential hopeful Rudy Giuliani, he was posed a question about could we handle an invasion from outer space in a very recent town hall meeting or something like that. And he was posed the question by a young boy, and just like with Bill Clinton years ago, there was some guffawing or some little laughter in his answer at first, but Fox News reported that 
um, Rudy Giuliano, Giuliani, he was grinning. He said that that was his first question ever about an intergalactic attack. And then in quotes, he replies, of all the things that can happen in this world, we'll be prepared for that. Yes, we will. We'll be prepared for anything that happens. So that link is still linked up on the top of uh, Roswell, or of livefromroswell.com. And there's a second link to the ExoPolitics website. If that's still good, you can actually hear the sound clip of him saying so. So, since Mr. Cameron, Grant Cameron, is so well-versed in the history of presidents of the United States and their involvement with UFOs, we're going to have him joining us momentarily as the reigning expert in the field, I'm sure, on UFOs and American presidents. And as your host, I definitely want to invite you to join in tonight's discussion. And you can send me an email right now or at any time during this program via talk to me T-A-L-K-T-O-M-E, at livefromroswell.com. I'll be happy to read it on the air. I hope you'll include your name and maybe the city that you're writing from. You can also call our toll-free number, which is 877-786-0562, if you want to be live from Roswell and go on the air with us. And both that email address and that telephone number are posted near the top of Live from Roswell as well. Uh, before bringing Grant on to begin to comment and tell us about his background, I always try to mention that Live from Roswell is sponsored in part by Alien Resistance Headquarters here in Roswell, New Mexico, that I'm affiliated with. It also offers biblical perspectives on UFOs and abductions, as well as many conference DVDs from uh, speakers that we've had here in Roswell. AlienResistance.org will start you on that path. But I do need to remind some and inform others, if this is the first time you've tuned into the program, that we do have DVDs available from the conference we had this summer in July. And there's a big picture of a DVD cover also near the top of livefromroswell.com. You can click on that and you'll see some information. We have over uh, 30 lectures that were recorded in Roswell by various ufologists from around the country that joined us this year. And it takes up about 11 discs. So there's a link to roswellufoconference.com for those that would be interested in checking out more about that. And I think that's all the preamble I wanted to cover beforehand. Did I lose you there, Grant? Or are you still with us? You still got me. That's good news to hear it. That's good. You doing okay up there? Doing fine. All right. Well, welcome. What part of Canada are you in, by the way? I'm from the cold part, right in the middle, right above North Dakota, Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. That's definitely the cold part. I thought it was always cold, but that could just be a stereotype or anything. Yeah, it is one of the coldest places in the world, so... Okay, well, I've, uh, I've got linked up on your web, or a link up to your website from livefromoswell.com right now. It's presidentialufo.com for anybody that's not on the web right now and wants to look at it. Got a uh, pretty extensive bio that I pasted from that site from you that you uh, led me to earlier this week. But um, I guess the best way to start off a little interview, I definitely look forward to hearing any commentary you may have on some of these articles that are going around. But if, you, if you'd like to, just give us a little share on how you actually got into studying the presidents of the United States. Okay, the, I guess the background is uh, starts in 1975 as a young university student. Um, we had a flap or a huge rash of sightings in a town about 35 miles southwest of the city of Winnipeg where I live. And this thing was being seen there all the time, and it was, uh, they gave it a name, it was called Charlie Red Star. It was a brilliant red thing that used to fly around. And uh, drive, we used to drive around the city, nothing better to do with my friends, and uh, just cruise the streets in a car. 
And I said to my friend the one time, I said, well, why don't we go out to Carmen and see what these people are looking at? I really didn't have any interest in UFOs. I can't ever remember thinking about it or whatever. I had some interest in, uh, you know, life after death type things, the uh, paranormal, whatever, but not UFOs. And uh, we, I know we had put it off for about a month and a half, and then a local TV station here got a uh, TV footage of this thing uh, jumping off the ground. They had it surrounded, and the thing jumped into the sky, and they, they filmed it. And at that point, I told my friend, I said, man, we've got to go and see what's going on here, Let's see what people are, what, what everybody's reporting. So they were so this, actually showing on the television news coverage yeah, of this was a, a, a footage of, of they'd gone out, like all the TV networks had had sort of been challenged that this thing was there, and so they all went out there to try to capture this thing on film. And one of the TV stations actually did capture this thing uh, jumping off the ground. Is it? Uh, it was sitting on the ground, and they uh, were about eight miles away, and this thing jumped about 5,000 feet to the air in about uh, three frames of, of, of film. And anyway, this thing had sort of gotten around the world. NBC picked it up. It was, it was a fairly famous film at the time, J.L. and Hynek at the time, was in Winnipeg. It said it was the best nocturnal night film that he'd ever seen. And it was sort of at that point, a month and a half after this, this flap started, that I told my friend, I said, well, come on, let's go see what's going on. So we drove out there um, and drove around the town for about, uh, I think it was about an hour, and really didn't see anything. Just sort of figured, you know, it's just like what you'd normally expect, that everybody sees it when you go to see it, it, it nothing happens. And we were driving out of the town. I remember my friend said, well, we'll drive back into, into the town of Carmen one more time, and if we don't see anything, that's it, we're going home. And if we hadn't seen anything at that point, I never would have gotten into the field. I'm pretty sure I would have been doing something completely different in my life. We drove back in, and I can still remember this thing came right in front of the car. It was bouncing up and down. It was like a, we called it a bobbing motion, like a, a bobber on a fishing line. And it was blood red, and it was moving very, very slow, but it was, uh, it was moving very erratically. It was uh, very low to the ground, maybe, I don't know, 500, no more than 1,000 feet off the ground. And right in front of the car, and I can still remember, uh, I have always, when I lecture, I tell people there's, there's, if you don't, if you've never seen anything, then you can either believe or disbelieve. Like once you've seen it, you know. And people have always said, you know, maybe it's this, maybe it's that. I know exactly what it was. It was nothing that I'd ever seen before. My father was a pilot. My son's a pilot. Uh, I've been around. I've seen, I've never seen anything that even remotely comes close to the dramatic nature of what we saw. And anyway, I remember the car hadn't even stopped at that time. We were still, the car was moving, and we were trying to get out of the car because it was, it was, it was so low to the ground. It was going in behind a set of school buses that were parked outside of the town. And anyway, that was the first night. Two nights later, I was so, uh, you know, people see UFOs, and they sort of, wow, it's kind of interesting. With me, it was sort of like a life-changing event that it just it sort of blew me away. I couldn't believe what I'd seen. I went out two nights later. I took all my friends, and I remember... Uh, after about three quarters of an hour, all my friends said, uh, "You're nuts, Cameron. We're we're going home." And I said, "No, no, hang on. This is the most dramatic thing you'll ever see." And they all took off. And I remember there was only uh, I think four of us left at the time. And this thing came right at us the second night. And it was it came in pretty close. It was maybe uh, uh, estimate maybe half a mile away from us, coming directly at us. And then it made a turn. And I remember the other car that was in the neighborhood, because there was people all over the place trying to see this thing at, at the time. And I remember them taking off and the gravel flying, and they were chasing this thing. And so for the next year and a half, I was out there, and I interviewed all the people who had seen it and uh, tried to photograph this. And then these lights started to appear on the ground, and I was photographing those and got to actually within 50 feet of one of those objects. And anyway, it sort of 
sort of took over my life, and I wrote a manuscript, which I now have on CD, but I, I wrote this manuscript, and it was called Tales of Charlie Red Star, and I sort of figured this was it. Uh, this was an amazing thing that everybody would be totally amazed with, and I remember putting it out, and I got a couple of publishing companies to read the manuscript, but nobody ever picked it up, and the main uh, publisher in the city, uh. I live in a fairly major city, 750,000 people, uh, I remember her saying to me, you may believe in this kind of stuff, count me among the unbelievers. And that's how it sort of started for me. It was sort of like the shock of the fact that, that something so dramatic and so amazing that I'd seen so many times as I researched during this year and a half that nobody really cared about it. Nobody, it was sort of like it was interesting. People liked to listen to your little stories and stuff like that, but nobody was really that keen on it. And at that point, it was sort of like trying to prove to your friends and, and family that you're not totally crazy. And I got a lead from this Carmen sighting stuff that um, from one of the radar technicians who had been out there from the city who had told me that he had used to work in the, in the Canadian government and that he had worked for the guy who ran the Canadian government UFO program and that uh, this guy was uh, totally crazy, but he had been talking to the aliens and he had uh, all this sort of stuff and he had been dealing at the highest level and I was totally amazed by this. And that was my second step, was that I went after the story of Wilbur Smith and what happened in the Canadian government in the early 1950s. And, and Smith became famous for writing the famous top secret memo in which he had gone to the Canadian Embassy in Washington, D.C., and was told by the Americans that it's the most highly classified secret in the United States, flying saucers existed, and that a small group headed by Vannevar Bush was uh, trying to figure out what was going on. Now, this is a top secret memo. And I wrote that whole story up, and I, I talked to people about it, and people were a little more amazed by it. But still, people really, it wasn't proof, it really didn't convince anybody. And through that story, I ended up uh, getting a contact uh, with the former head of Penn State University, one of the Ivy League colleges. This guy had, I think, 14 or 15 honorary doctorate degrees. Uh, very, very famous guy, has friends with, uh, did a study for Eisenhower, uh, was head of the, uh, or executive secretary of the Research Development Board, which created all the, the weapons, the hydrogen bomb, all this sort of stuff. Very high level. In fact, uh, Vannevar Bush, who was supposedly the czar of the UFO technology back in the early years, when he left the Pentagon, this fellow, Dr. Eric Walker, took over his office. So we, we had a, a situation there where I figured this was the story that would break the UFO cover-up. And for eight years, I headed up a team of researchers who tried to contact Walker, tried to get Walker to talk. And basically, when it all came down to it, we took all the transcripts of all the interviews, all the letters we'd gotten from him, and Walker was a guy who was trying not to talk, but who just couldn't hang up the phone and was indirectly telling us a bunch of stuff. And we basically said, well, let's put all the transcripts in a book, let's put it out, and people can sort of take, take it for, for what it is. And I figured it was the most amazing story. And I remember that story all fell apart when the, uh, the Penn State uh, newspaper went to interview him, and they were so intimidated by this guy that when he said, uh, I never happened, I uh, don't want to talk about it, I'm having a shower, goodbye, hung up the oh. phone, the newspaper was so intimidated that they didn't even bother to go back and in interview him. So we had spent, like, whatever it was, eight years of work, and it basically came down to one interview, which sort of fell through, and that was the end of that. MUFON uh, published that. It was the first book they'd ever published, and uh, basically had a thousand copies. It didn't go anywhere. And at that point, I figured, well, he had gone to, he was going to leave his papers with President I, uh, Truman. And I'd gone, I remember going to the Truman Library and trying to find these papers, and suddenly it occurred to me, well, the president is the most powerful person in the world. He runs the uh, military, he runs the government. 
what is the president? No, maybe this is where the answer is. And I remember going to the Truman Library, and there was really nothing there. And I remember going to the Eisenhower Library that had 28 million pages of files. And I remember sitting with a, with a, because it's a very high, sort of a stuffy library where you have to do a, an interview before you go in there. And I remember them saying, well, we've got five items. And one was a telegram, one was this, one was that. It's just like literally nothing among these 28 million pages. And at that point, I said, something's wrong here. There has to be records. The president, if this is the most important subject in the world, which I still have always believed it is, and if this is the most powerful man in the world, there has to be a link between the two. And so I guess for about the last, whatever it is, five years, I've been going to different presidential libraries, tracking different presidential people, trying to get interviews with these people to find out what does the president know and uh, what is the true story, because the true story will have been told to the president of the United States. We, we would hope so. We would think so. A lot of people say he's <laughs> Yeah, a, although it's, it now seems to be indicating that the president may not know. Yeah, someone asked a while back, we have a virtual uh, auditorium where some people are actually listening to the show over their, over their speakers as well yeah. as communicating back and forth. That's how I keep up with the producer. We're down to about five minutes, by the way, before our first break. But I wanted to, somebody was asking about, um, you, you described two clear sightings you had of the Charlie Red Star, correct? Yep. Yeah. That you personally experienced, and that really, obviously, something like that would help get you interested in finding out what this is. Someone just happened to ask, I'm going to guess red, but someone did happen to ask, what color was the craft, and could you describe that uh, yeah. a little better or a little more? Okay, to me, to me it, it, it looked like it was alive. It was, it was red. It was pulsing very, very slowly. It was like a beating heart, it was, uh, and it was like uh, I've always described it as a light, like if you put a light inside a bag, you really couldn't see the object itself. You could see this intense light around it. You really couldn't see the shape. It was um, fairly big, and I, I still remember this bobbing motion. It, it wasn't flying in a straight line, and it had a green glow on the back bottom side of it. The second time, the night it came right at us and was, was very close as it, as it flew by, it sort of made a turn. It was coming at us, and then it sort of made a turn and headed off into the northeast. And I can still remember sitting there and looking at this thing, slowly moving along like it was just driving along, burning gas, really wasn't going anywhere real really wasn't doing anything significant and thinking to myself, these are, these are people from another planet. It just it sort of, there was no doubt in my mind what was going on here. And it so just, just left me mystified. Do you feel the craft itself was large, or I will say the, the object itself was large enough to have held uh, a couple oh, yeah. of occupants for sure? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, it seemed fairly uh, fairly big craft. I mean, it wouldn't say, you know, like a 747 or something, but it was, it was hard to tell because of the intensity of the light. And mm -hmm. I mean, uh, there was incidents later on where I actually saw this light uh, 50 feet away with these small objects that would be on the ground that, that appeared about uh, maybe a year after this whole thing started. And I remember that was the same sort of thing. It was this intense, intense, intense light that was very hard. You're looking at it 50 feet away with binoculars, and you could see exactly where this thing was there, but it, it was against a bridge, and, and the bridge wasn't even lit up. It was just the, the weirdest type of stuff that uh, sort of kept drawing me back and drawing me back. And I've, I've always, well, not always, but I would say in the last number of years, I've definitely think that this was no chance that I saw this thing. This, this was something that was meant to be, and it has sort of just changed my life. I basically end up quitting university, basically have spent the vast majority of my life just chasing this mystery and trying to figure out exactly what is going on. And then led you into researching what presidents really know. We're we're only one minute away from break already, and yeah. I was going to ask you before we go into that, uh, just real quickly, 
at its closest, how, how close or how far would you estimate you were at your closest sighting of this? The, the big object, I was, uh, well, the second sighting, I was very close. I would say half a mile, and it was up about maybe 500 feet in the air. It was very, 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 very close. The uh, small ground object, I was, I would say, 50 to 75 feet away. I was close enough at that point that I told my friend who was standing beside me with an 8mm movie camera, I'm going to jump on this thing. I was that close. <laughs> That's got to change your life. All right. We'll hear uh, more about the, the website you've begun, the lectures you've done, and the books you or the book you've written on the topics with Grant Cameron from Canada. He's the guy behind presidentialufo.com, which is a history of American presidents and their involvement with UFOs. We'll be discussing both some of the recent news and uh, much more of his work. After this break, we've got a little song from Mike Kelly coming up for you. Take us on break, Joe. Welcome back once again. I'm Guy Malone, and you're listening to Live from Roswell, broadcast from my living room here in sunny Roswell, New Mexico. We have presidentialufo.com author Grant Cameron on the phone with us tonight, and he is a reigning expert of presidents and their experiences with UFOs, or at least their inquiries into them, all the way back as far as Eisenhower. And every U.S. president that has been since Eisenhower, he has a little tidbit of something that follows the UFO story uh, throughout American politics. And um, what got us uh, thinking to bring Grant on tonight, and I'm so glad and fortunate that you did, you were able to make it tonight, Grant, was there's several news reports right now. There, I've got a few of them linked from the top of live from Roswell.com. There's a funny uh, quote in one of them on the Fox News article that I failed to mention coming into the program when um, Dennis Kuchinek was defending himself, more or less, on the fact that he had seen a UFO, um, here's a funny thing that he said was that uh, his answer, one, he brought up that Jimmy Carter saw a UFO, and that was a matter of public record. But the funny thing he said was that he also believed, he also, that more people in this country have seen UFOs than I think approve of George Bush's presidency. I don't know what kind of barb that was or, well, or what. I, I think if you look back in presidential UFO history, you'll see that, uh, and, we, and the way I pronounce it is uh, Dennis Kucinich. And, and, Thank you. <laughs> and he, uh, he is, uh, knows about UFO history because he's not the first person to use the line. The line was used by George Bush Sr. Uh, um, once, and it was used by Bill Clinton on about nine occasions, and it was used by George Bush on 20. George Bush, uh, the present George Bush, on about 21 occasions, and that is a line that they used to use on the campaign trail every time they were pushing Social Security. They'd always say uh, they believe that uh, the, the polls show that more people believe uh, they'll see a UFO than collect a Social Security check. So Kucinich is sort of is sort of a play on this um, <laughs> this line that has been used by a number of presidents using about George Bush's po popularity, which sort of indicates that Kucinich knows the background of, of UFO history. And some of the things that, that um, people might not know about Kucinich, that, uh, I think I have a couple of articles. I have my news 
update page at my website. If you go to my website and then go to the news update page, I have probably 50 of the articles that have been published in the last uh, couple of weeks on this. Oh, this, good. This, you are keeping that up now. Episode. And, and some of the stuff uh, that is interesting about all this is that uh, what people might know about Kucinich is that um, Kucinich had a very famous person working for him on the 2004 campaign, and that was Danny Sheehan. And uh, oh. for people, and I have some stuff on Danny Sheehan on my website as well, if you go to the Carter section. Jimmy Carter, uh, when he was president, uh, according to Daniel Sheehan, who was a, he's a very famous uh, civil rights attorney who uh, had worked on the, uh, defending the New York Times on the Pentagon Papers. He had uh, basically shut down the American nuclear industry uh, on the Silkwood case. He's done a number of very famous things, for example, defend John Mack when he was, uh, Harvard was trying to uh, kick him out uh, over his uh, work on uh, abductions and stuff. Danny Sheehan was the guy that uh, was doing all this kind of stuff. And when Jimmy Carter was in office, Danny Sheehan was, uh, no, let me think, he was the chief counsel to the Jesuit headquarters in Washington, D.C., and he was contacted by a woman uh, by the name of uh, Smith who um, said that Jimmy Carter wanted to do a study on UFOs and a study on extraterrestrial intelligence. And Danny Sheehan was called in to help with these two studies. And he was sort of a consultant. And uh, one of his jobs was to go to the Vatican and get the secret UFO files from the Vatican. And he describes how he had uh, sent a letter to his friend at the Vatican Library and was told, no, you can't, you can't have the files and then sent another letter, and this letter said, this is on behalf of the President of the United States. This request for the UFO files was denied a second time. And the other claim to fame that he had regarding these UFO studies that Jimmy Carter was doing was that he said in order to, he was supposed to give a, a lecture to JPL, to uh, 50 people at JPL about um, the religion. He has also has a uh, divinity degree, and he was going to give a lecture to JPL on the religious implications of extraterrestrial intelligence being uh, confirmed on Earth. And he said, well, in order to give this lecture, he would need to see the classified Blue Book files. So Danny Sheehan, and, and uh, he's told this story numerous times, uh, said that he was in Washington and he was at the Library of Congress uh, uh, and that in the basement he had been given the access to the classified Blue Book files and that he had, while there, had gone through these microfilms and had found photographs of a crashed flying saucer with U.S. Air Force people around it. And he tells this famous story about having this uh, legal pad and that he was using an overhead like a, for a microfilm reader and that he had put his, his pad and he had drawn the symbols on his pad, traced the symbols by using this overhead on this, this pad of paper that he had and tells this famous story about how he was involved in these UFO studies. Now, Danny Sheehan was, one of the, was a major uh, person working on the Kucinich campaign in 2004. So here you have this very closely uh, connect, connection to UFOs by Dennis Kucinich. Now, Kucinich had never talked about it in 2004, and uh, from what I was told by uh, the exopolitics people, that um, Danny Sheehan is now backing uh, Edwards in the in the mm. race for president. So I don't know what happened, how the, what the fallout was. But Kucinich has this background of having this very famous UFO guy working on his campaign the last time. 
Yeah, oh, you remind me, actually. Of I do want to plug, just for anybody that's got nothing to do and can get to Las Vegas next weekend, um, we had Ryan Wood on just a couple of weeks ago. Okay. And since you mentioned Danny Sheehan, oh, it is worth there, noting. Right. Yes, you're right. He's doing, uh, Therese reminded me in our virtual auditorium, yeah. is that he is giving the keynote address at the dinner banquet in Las yeah. Vegas. If anybody's interested in learning more about this topic, um, I would encourage you to get to Vegas, and the info is at ufoconference.com. That's a three-day uh, conference. They'll, ha they'll have a, probably about a dozen speakers, but I do happen to know, and thanks for reminding me, Therese, that Danny Sheehan, the very guy you're speaking of, is actually giving a lecture a week from now. Yeah, and if you've ever heard, I've heard Danny Sheehan speak, oh, half a dozen times. He's one of the most impressive speakers you'll ever hear in your life. I remember hearing him uh, this is maybe three days after 9/11. A speech that he got a standing ovation on. It was just—he's an amazingly good speaker. Now, whether he was that in uh, San Francisco? Bay Area? That was in San Francisco. Yeah. Yeah, Bay Area. I was there also. Yeah, it was yes, quite, quite was the impressive uh, uh, speech. He's a very sharp guy. I know he hasn't really talked about this UFO thing. He usually gets more into the the political, and he's not a big friend of George Bush, so he he spends a lot of his time talking about that and and you know the the stuff that's connected to real politics but the ufo thing he has a very strong background this this period of time under the jimmy carter administration when he was involved now he he may answer questions about it and i know uh when I, we we're in san francisco i know a number of people have uh, requested that he show the symbols that he traced off the side of this flying saucer that was in these photographs that he saw back in washington dc but very very interesting guy and i i think if he if he gets on this topic it's worth the price of admission so uh, th that's a little bit about Danny Sheehan. Um, he's sort of the guy that got it going, and um, he's not the first guy to actually be outed by uh, Shirley MacLaine. Shirley MacLaine is sort of like, uh, I, she sort of <laughs> reminds me of my mother. She says what's on her mind and does what she wants to do. And uh, she also outed uh, um, Jimmy Carter. And this was a story that goes back to, when was it, uh, 1994. I believe it was. I don't quote me on the year, but this mm -hmm. it happened on the Larry King show, and uh, uh, Nicholas Cage. This, this I haven't been able to confirm this, but Nicholas Cage was on the uh, show, and he said that um, he's friends with Shirley MacLaine. That Shirley MacLaine had told him that um, Jimmy Carter had told her that he had actually seen the bodies in the craft, and uh, so. Shirley MacLaine was on the show the very next week, and a friend of mine from Florida phoned up, and this we actually have the, the actual video and the audio of this conversation. Uh, he asked uh, Shirley MacLaine, is, is this true? Is this what Jimmy Carter told you? And she said, no, it's not really the whole story, but Jimmy Carter did tell her it was true. Um, there, there are aliens, and, and confirmed this basic sort of stuff that Jimmy Carter had told her this story that that. that the UFO thing was true, and it was uh, ET related, which is kind of strange because yeah. in the last couple of days uh, since Kucinich made this comment, uh, they talked to um, uh, Carter, and I have um, this on my website as well. Uh, Carter was he's in Los Angeles at the moment, working on the habitat, building houses, and of course they went to him immediately and wanted to ask him about <laughs> this UFO comment, and now he's making a claim that he doesn't believe extraterrestrials have been here. He doesn't believe the sighting that he had in 1969 in uh, uh, um, Atlanta or south of Atlanta was uh, ET related. It was very dramatic and all this sort of stuff. 
but he really doesn't believe that ETs, you know, the physics type thing that they they couldn't get here. So he's he now he's playing oh, skeptical. He's, he's at least backpedaled. Yeah, he's backpedaled, which is kind of strange skeptic. because uh, we have a, a direct statement from Shirley MacLaine that she he was told she, he told her it's all for real, and uh, so it's kind of neat. And a lot of people have been questioned, like. Uh, uh, Mitt Romney was, was asked now about uh, UFOs, and he's claiming he's a UFO skeptic. He doesn't believe that uh, ETs have visited the Earth. Uh, Joe Biden was uh, now asked about mm-hmm. UFOs, and he has um, also said that he's a, a UFO skeptic. And Mike Gravel, who's uh, just a sort of a... Uh, he really doesn't have much of the vote. I think he's from formerly from Alaska or something, and he has basically said, yeah, he's, he's right into this thing, and uh, he believes the Area 51 thing, and if he gets in, he's going to release the UFO files and all this sort of stuff. So it has sort of uh, been a big change from the 2004 campaign. It, it's something that I've always pushed, and it comes from an, an episode that I had, which I guess is my 15 seconds of fame, and that yeah. was my conversation with Dick Cheney, who... Uh, Dennis Kucinich is going to put a, uh, a bill in front of the uh, House on Tuesday, Tuesday, either Tuesday or Thursday, to have uh, uh, Cheney impeached. So he's, he's first UFO, oh, wow. now you're going to see him in the news again. He's, he's going to put this bill in front to get Cheney impeached. And I sort of uh, had a famous moment with uh, Cheney when he and Bush first got in. Uh, Go ahead and share that. That is, like you, you said, your, your definite, at yeah. least one one period of yeah. fame you've had. And, and it, was, it was sort of based upon the fact that every time a president comes up, it comes all the way back to, I guess, the Carter days when the National Enquirer contacted Carter in, in a back room in this tape. They, they, uh, Bob Pratt, who was the National Enquirer, gave me a copy of this tape where they asked Carter, you know, if you become president, will you uh, do something about UFOs? And he said, yeah, I'll release all the files. And this sort of started a, a, a campaign of ask every president that comes along whether he's going to do something about the UFO stuff. And George Bush Sr. had, of course, said, uh, uh, yeah, he would do something, and he was asked uh, by... Um, CNN, right? Uh, no, it was by Huffer. Senior, senior, senior. Uh, Charles Huffer was the guy's name. He asked George Bush Sr. the question, and he, he gave me a copy of the tape, and this was, he asked him, and then he, uh, George Bush says, well, what do you know? And then he said, come on, you're CIA, you were CIA director, you know what's going on. And then George Bush Sr. said, yeah, I know some, yeah, I know a lot. And so this, this is a famous tape, and then it went to um, uh, asking uh, George Bush Jr. when he was in, Charles Huffer, who says he's not a Republican, but I sort of think he, he is, uh, contacted George Bush Sr., uh, was waiting for him at a, I'm not, escapes me which, which state it occurred, I think it was Arkansas, and uh, Bush was coming out of, going into a speech, and he said to him, are you going to release the UFO stuff? And he said, yeah, I will, and he went into the speech, and he came back out of the speech, and Cheney was with him, and then he recognized Charles Huffer, and he said, uh, we're going to get right on it, and uh, then he referred to uh, Dick Cheney, and he said, this is my uh, secretary of, he was a former secretary of defense, uh, he's a good man, he knows what's going on, it'll be the first thing he does when he gets in. So, of course, we're all sitting there, and we're anticipating that something's going to happen, that as soon as Bush gets in, he's got the power, because the idea was always that the, the Democrats really don't have the power, but the Republicans uh, have the in with the military, that they're told what's going on. So we, of course, all figured, well, maybe George Bush is going to release the UFO secret, he's going to release this. Really nothing happened, and uh, then weird stuff started happening, like 
uh, Laura Johnstone, who I wrote all the articles for, went on a hunger 42-day hunger strike and created a big stir in California, and I was in California with her, and she was trying to get George Bush to say, you know, that follow through on this promise to Charles Huffer. And what occurred moments after was in April of uh, 2001, a couple months after they got into office, I heard that um, Dick Cheney was going to be on the Diana Reem show, which is a radio talk show in Washington, D.C., which I listen to from time to time on computer. It's kind of an interesting mm-hmm. story. She had a lot of the big shots on there. And I heard Dick Cheney was going to be there, so I had figured out how to get on these radio talk shows. So, of course, I uh, raced home, took a couple hours off work, raced home, and made the phone call and ended up being the first person online. And uh, when it came, then I said, uh, Mr. Cheney, uh, the, the rumor in the UFO community is that you've been read into the UFO program. And this was this was something that in the UFO pro- uh, sort of lexicon that, that he's a, he was a former chief of staff, he was a former secretary of defense, uh, very powerful type of guy who's been around and knows what's going on, and the rumor was that he'd been read in. So I said, Mr. Cheney, in all your jobs in government, have you ever been read, in, have you ever been briefed on the subject of UFOs, and if so, when was it, and what were you told? And that was a question that I'd worked on for weeks and weeks and weeks, exactly <laughs> what question should you ask him? Because most people were asking, you know, uh, what do you think about UFOs? And, of course, the guy's going to say, well, you know, it's kind of interesting. I really don't believe, but, you know, it's kind of an interesting subject. Or, you know, will you do something? Of course. Well, yeah, I'll do what I can if I get in. My question was simply to, uh, because I'd been to enough presidential libraries, I was already getting frustrated by the fact that somebody at some point, uh, I believe, would sit down with the president and actually tell him what's going on. And that is the official briefing, where he has to sign for it, where it's, it's all uh, classified. And uh, so that's the question I was asking him. I really don't care what you think about UFOs. I don't care if you've ever seen one. I could care less. All I want to know is one thing, Mr. Cheney, in all these powerful jobs that you've had, Secretary of Defense, whatever, have you ever been read in? Has somebody ever walked in your office and sat down and, and swore you to secrecy and told you what's going on? And the question was, uh, when was it and what were you told? And at that point, they cut me off, and I really didn't hear it. And it was actually Charles Huffer who emailed me, and he had actually heard the transcript of, or the actual show, and he made this comment that he had actually answered the question. And basically what he said was, if I had been briefed on that subject, it would probably be classified, and I wouldn't be talking about it, which is basically, to me, was a confirmation that it's for real. I mean, he actually, it's classified, and I'm not going to talk about it. If I'd been briefed. <laughs> yeah, it would have been classified, and I wouldn't be talking about it. And at that point, okay. he sort of caught his, his, his ground, because he was cut off ground. It was sort of like no way did he expect a UFO question to come. And then Diana Reem asked him, well, because uh, her questions were, are you running the show? Are you the, telling George Bush what to do? So she said, so since you've been in the White House, uh, have you had any meetings about UFOs? And that's when he said, no, I haven't had any meetings about UFOs since I became vice president, which was probably since true. Since I became vice president. He yeah. actually qualified it, huh? Yeah. So th- that that was, uh, and then the ne- about the next five or six questions were about Halliburton and how they're ripping people off and making money and <laughs> stuff. And, he, he, and I don't think he ever went on a talk show after that. He was just furious. He said, uh, you've got quite a uh, bunch of people on here asking these questions and he seemed a little upset with the the line of the questions, but he didn't have a, a single easy question. And after that, he really didn't um, really didn't go on any talk shows. So it was the sort of the moment where I I went down the road, and I kept telling people when it came comes to it, forget about asking these guys what they've seen or what they think about it. Let's ask questions about have they been briefed. 
And what happened in the 2004 campaign, which is completely different than the 2008 campaign, is in the 2004 campaign, General Wesley Clark was running for president. And General Wesley Clark is a four-star general in the Army who had talked about the fact that he wanted to be an astronaut and that he, he couldn't be an astronaut because of his sight or whatever and had gone into the Army and ended up becoming a four-star general. And at, in, when he was in the New Hampshire primary in 2004, he starts rambling about this, this whole deal about how he believes people can go past the speed of light, and he's argued with physicists and all this sort of stuff. I, I've forgotten about that. And I, I, was just, I was just blown away by this. So I, I put out the, the, the alert to a number of people, a number of state directors from UFON and people that I knew, and I knew a lot of people in the United States, and I said, when Wesley Clark comes into town, we've got to ask him the briefing question, because he's a four-star general, which, which would mean there's a pretty good chance this guy's been briefed. And I sent out to, I, I've had some interactions with the Avery-type people, these uh, former intelligence-type people, and one of the people that I've contact with there wrote me back when I put out this alert about General Wesley Clark, put out an alert, and what it said was, uh, one of the, uh, a little bird has told me that Clark has been briefed on crash flying saucers. So then I was desperate. I put out this alert to everybody. He's been briefed on crash flying saucers. So what we have to do is we have to ask him, have you been briefed? If so, when was it? And what were you told? Do not ask him what he thinks about it, whatever. Let's get him on the spot. He's a four-star general. And I got all these replies back from various people saying, well, we don't want to embarrass them. And I'm thinking, what is this? I mean, if we as ufologists don't want to put these people uh, on the line and ask these questions, how can we possibly expect the media to be asking them the hard questions about what's going on? And it took a, a long time, and it was finally Dr. David Rudiak uh, out of California, who was in Reno, Nevada, doing some UFO research, and um, found out a, a poster there that Wesley Clark was going to be there. And he was one of the people that really didn't want to ask the question. He lives just outside of Berkeley, and Wesley Clark had been there a couple of times. So he then went in and asked him the briefing question. And he said, Mr. General Clark, have you ever been briefed on the subject of UFOs? If so, when was it? And what were you told? And Clark surprisingly said, well, I know a little bit. I know a little bit. In fact, I'm going to Roswell tomorrow. And we checked the schedule, and sure enough, he was going to Roswell because New Mexico was one of the states that was on the borderline. It was going Republican, Democratic. Nobody knew which way it was going to go. So everybody was playing the the, the, um, the New Mexico card. This is only, I think, two days before the election, trying to get those five votes or whatever comes out of there. And then uh, Rudiak wasn't uh, thrown off by it. He just simply went back and said, so you were briefed. And then at that point, Clark said something even more spectacular, and that was, yes, I know some, but we have a problem with the mathematics. And this is a thing that uh, has bounced around the UFO community, is the fact that mathematics seems to have something to do with this whole thing of where we are, what we're, why we can't get anywhere, because the head of Skunk Works had also this famous speech that he had made when he said, we have the, the technology to take E.T. home. He had stated, we've discovered the mistake in, in, in the equation. So mathematics has a lot to do with this, and Clark made this reference. But since that day in 2004, uh, Wesley Clark has not faced the UFO question again. Here's a guy who we think probably has been briefed. He knows has a little bit about what's it? going on. Pardon me? I mean, has he ducked the question? Has he been asked again? Or He's never he been asked. It? And that, that's, okay. that's the problem that has always existed, that UFO people will not ask the question. And now it has sort of changed, that now it's sort of, uh, we may have gotten over the hump that it's not, um, it's, it's not uh, the ugly question to ask. Because I'll give you another example. This is, this is White House. I've always wondered why the White House reporters don't ask the UFO question. 
Okay, two minutes sort of, on that. Pardon me? Uh, two minutes on that before okay. we go to break. And, and what happened in, in that case, and that was defined by uh, a woman working for the New York Post who asked the question when uh, Jimmy Carter had stated, or when Charles um, Hubble, the uh, inside the Clinton administration had said that Jimmy Carter told him to find the answer to two questions. Are there UFOs and who killed JFK? He went out and he tried to find the answer and when he wrote his book in 1997 he came out and said Jimmy, or Clinton had asked him to look into UFOs. So the question was asked at the White House press conference by a woman uh, reporter for the New York Post and she asked the question and they ducked it about whether uh, Clinton had had given this uh, request to look into UFOs. And then she asked the second question, and they, they, they ducked the question a second time. And she didn't get an answer, and she, uh, she, when she was interviewed later, she said, I sat there and waited for someone to come to my defense, and nobody said a thing. Nobody followed uh. up with another question. And that's basically, you spend your whole life trying to get to be a White House press reporter, and you get into the, uh, the thing, nobody's going to ask the dumb UFO question, because they can pull your press credentials, or you're going to look stupid, they're never going to ask you another question. And so they're just petrified. They all want to ask the, uh, the intelligence-sounding question. So that's part of the problem we have is nobody's ever confronted the the main people who may have the information with the question and getting it on, which hey, has well, sort of changed in the 2008 campaign. Yeah, we'll talk about that change uh, after the break here. We've got a little music from Mike Kelly for you. There's a couple uh, commercial spots for other paranormal radio network programming, and we'll be back with Grant Cameron. You can send an email to me at talktome at livefromroswell.com if you would like to ask Grant a question. Good evening, and welcome back once again to Live from Roswell. I'm Guy Malone, your host. We have Grant Cameron, the author behind PresidentialUFO.com, which gives the story of presidents of the United States all the way back to Eisenhower and their involvement with the UFO subject. We've been speaking for an hour about certain things that are in the news. Uh, there's some articles linked from both LiveFromRoswell.com and from Grant Cameron's website on presidential hopefuls who are in the news lately, and the UFO topic just keeps coming up and keep, keeps coming up. It, it just won't leave them alone. And that's uh, what Grant, we're going to ask him to talk about here in just a minute, is how different the UFO subject is coming up in the 2008 election or campaign, how very, very different that is from what's happened in the years 2004 and before. Before I get to that, um, Alien, Alien Resistance HQ is our sponsor today, live from Roswell is sponsored by them and they are providing all the communications email and telephone services to make this program possible there are links from live from roswell as well to alienresistance.org where you can get info on lectures and dvds as well as everything we've recorded here in roswell and grant before i get back to that um the 2008 election sorry i got a little distracted there i got an email that came in from d in uh, somewhere, ICAR, U.S. National Director, though, P Guy, please ask Mr. Cameron about what happened when Dick Cheney went to Roswell for a speech just after he and Bush won the Republican nomination. Man, I don't um, I remember writing up the story. I don't think he, he went down the uh, Main Street and right past the Roswell Museum, I believe, and really uh, didn't do anything. Uh, I know... 
George Bush made a comment. Um, he made a joke. He was at the military academy there, just down the road from the from the New museum. Mexico Military Institute. Yeah, and that was maybe that was maybe in the 2004 campaign, uh, or shortly after. He again, he was campaigning for votes, and that's where he made the joke about. Um, and you could tell the joke had been written. I'll tell you what. Um, uh, I hear you had an unidentified object sighted here this morning. Don't worry, that was just me. And no. <laughs> it was the old Air Force One coming in. And then he goes to a barbecue restaurant uh, in Roswell when he was yeah. this George Bush and makes the same joke at the restaurant. So you could tell this had been written for him, sort of a yuck-yuck type thing, to uh, sort, of, uh, sort of recognize the fact that they realize that it's sort of the UFO capital of the United States and make this like, indirect reference. But Cheney is, is a very sort of, uh, he's even now quoted, uh, there was an article I put on my website where Cheney said um, the, the fact that he, he realized that he'd been to the Ford, um, was it Ford Library, and that he sort of laughed because lots of people were trying to get his files from the Ford Library, and he said they won't find very much because I've learned the rule, uh, don't write memos. The less you put in writing, the less trouble you get in. So he's the type of guy that's the ultimate secret keeper and uh, basically doesn't flinch, uh, knows how to keep his composure. Um, and I, my recollection in Roswell, he's, he went right by it, but really didn't make any rec recognizable sign to know where he was. So George Bush, on the other hand, is sort of stuck having to make a speech and basically uh, made this little joke about uh, some identified object coming in that morning. That's pretty interesting. D, I hope that answered your question, or you can email me back if you want to like further clarify that question. So I yeah. might have there a better are so answer many than stories that. that. It's hard to keep track of them all. As yeah. to we invite anybody to email talk to me t a l k t o m e at livefromroswell.com if you'd like to pose a question to my guest Grant Cameron, and we also have a toll free number posted up on the top of our website. One eight seven 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 eight six zero five six two, and there's also the virtual auditorium. Just put your hand up, and I'm trying to keep an eye on that throughout the program too. Uh, before we went to the break just now, we were talking about um, how this subject has come up occasionally to different candidates. You were saying that the ufologists in the field occasionally, like yourself, getting in to pose a question. In your case, it was over a talk show. And But what we've seen lately is the actual media people themselves are at least beginning to breach it if they've got something solid to go on. How uh, different do you see what's happening in this 2008 election from previous presidential campaigns? Yeah, I, I think the, just the, the, the fact that um, uh, Richardson, was, Richardson was set up by the exopolitics people, at least that's what they told me. He, he faced a question, and I guess this is one of the stories you covered, was whatever it was a week and a half ago or a week ago he was in austin speaking to uh the dell people computer people and mm -hmm. was faced with this question about his um his his reference to roswell that it had been uh, covered up and that he didn't believe the information had come out and this was the same old thing was uh i know my friend billy cox who actually worked with me has been worked with me on florida today right 
Uh, he's not with Florida Today anymore. He's with, uh, oh. I think it's the Herald now. But he has a blog site. If you if you Google search uh, Billy Cox and blog, you'll come across his blog. And basically every article is on presidential politics. He's, he's a fantastic writer. And he's been working on this with me since 1988 when the Walker story, I, I approached him with the Walker story and said this is the best story and I need a reporter to work on this and to break this thing. This guy knows who he's talking about. We need someone to interview this guy and he'll tell you the story. And I remember Cox coming back to me and saying, okay, I'll help you out, but if this uh, turns out to be a hoax, I will ruin you and this kind of stuff. You know, he's <laughs> going to expose me or whatever. And I said, that's fine. And, and so he was watching the, the um, Walker story as it is. Is it uh, we more and more people interviewed Walker and kept these transcripts and interviews that we had with him. And uh, Cox got into a situation where he's a good writer and he was winning an award. And he said to me, I've, I've actually got a, a situation here. He's going to be in the same room with uh, George Bush Sr. when he was running for president in 1988. And uh, Ronald Reagan are going to be in the same room. And I remember him bugging me, you know, well, if this is, if this, all this stuff is for real, how come the media doesn't cover it? And I said, well, look, I'm just some little tiny guy from Canada. You're the reporter. You're the big shot. You guys have access to the president. I don't have access to the president. And uh, it's up to you guys to ask the question. And then he said, well, here's the chance. I'm going to be in the same room as Ronald Reagan and George Bush, and who's winning this award. So he, w- I, I was basically the same thing. We were going to ask uh, Ronald Reagan the question about crash flying saucers because he'd made these sort of reference to the fact mm-hmm. that he seemed to know what was going on. And that was, I think that was the nature of what the question was going to be. And I remember him coming out of the thing, and I was waiting for him to re- reply, and then he said, I couldn't do anything. It was sort of like the Republicans had learned uh, George Bush was ahead in the polls, and the less you said, the better off you were. And uh, he said there was people with megaphones, and it was sort of like the president made his speech, George Bush made his speech, and then they'd play a hail to the chief, and the music would go, and they would just march off the stage and wouldn't take any questions, and people were yelling questions, and they oh. just sort of pretended nothing was happening. And this is what happened. He didn't get to ask the question. So... He's, he's been with me for quite a while, and now he's basically writing almost all the blog stuff that he does. He has to uh, sort of approve it with the newspaper, but he's following this very, very closely, all the different uh, uh, types of stories that are coming out. And I know he was challenging all the, the different campaigns, the Richardson campaign, the Clinton campaign, all the different ones to give him a statement on UFOs. And basically, nobody was coming back with any, anything. Even the Richardson campaign, he was very upset that Richardson had sort of gone into hiding since he wrote the, the introduction to this Roswell book and said that he believed there was a cover-up. Now he's running for uh, president, and it's sort of the old deal that uh, you don't want to look stupid. This is all about votes. You want to look presidential. You want to look cool. You want to talk about uh, very cool stuff and uh, down-to-earth stuff. Uh, how you're going to help everybody make lots of money and uh, get rid of all the problems and stuff. And UFOs is just the type of issue that's not really going to get you anywhere. So Richardson had sort of gone into hiding, and I know Billy Cox was, was sort of hammering away at him in his, in his column that, you know, it's been 50 days now, it's been 52 days, and still no word from Richardson, what, what, what's the deal? And so the extra politics people set up Richardson, and Richardson was sort of exposed and then came back with the same thing. Yeah, that's you know, here we are, and I, I believe, I don't believe, in fact, I think he said, I don't believe there's extraterrestrials in the last couple of days he's made this statement. I don't believe they're here, 
But, you know, government, and he referred to Dick Cheney's uh, uh, energy policy. You know how it is. They can cover everything up, and I don't believe they've told the truth. And uh, I think everything should be exposed. So he's playing the cool. I don't believe there's extraterrestrials, but I think, um, you know, the, the government should expose, quit keeping secrets, because with the Republicans and with Dick Cheney and covering up the energy stuff, this is a very popular issue. So, again, you're going after votes. And um, so he was exposed, and then you had the, the ultimate, ultimate question, and that was on the presidential debate, which is sort of uh, almost like opened a floodgate. Now, the, all the questions are going to come. And, of course, the, the person who uh, – I didn't hear about this question until the day after. I didn't watch the Democratic uh, uh, debate. But the, the person that we all wanted, and we actually had it set up to talk to her – and ask her a question in New Hampshire. I had a reporter who was going to, who promised me he'd ask her the question, and that was Hillary Clinton. And 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 Billy Cox in his blog. If you go Google search Billy Cox in blog, I did and, find and, it. I put in Billy Cox about, blog. Yeah. Link. And and you'll come across his blog. It's, he even talks about uh, his his uh, take on the story was, you know, Hillary Clinton was sitting there and her heart was just beating. Like, don't ask me this question because Hillary Clinton has a, a background. That if it gets exposed as to her UFO interest, uh, will make all of them look like uh, peanuts. The, the media yeah, tell just us has about that. I know you followed that for quite a while. The Clinton. Yeah, my my UFOs. main claim to fame there was uh, during the Clinton administration. Uh, there are two agencies inside each administration. Like you can't file Freedom Information Act requests with a White House until five years after the president leaves. And the idea behind that is the president gets to use his files for the first five years to write his memoirs and do all this kind of stuff. And after five years, then the files are open for Freedom Information Act requests. And the way it works is that first come, first serve. So if you get your Freedom Information Act request, or at least that's the way it's supposed to work. I'll tell you that story later. It's supposed to work that way. And anyway, uh, there's only two agencies, and one of them happens to be the Office of Science and Technology Policy. Now, George Bush basically really didn't have, have any. He really wasn't too interested in, in science. But Bill Clinton was, was very interested and had a, an office, a very active office, and that was the science advisor to the president runs that office. So I filed Freedom Information Act requests with them. I heard that they had some documents, and I ended up getting 1,000 pages of documents from the Clinton White House on UFOs. It was just absolutely unbelievable. Sort of like I'd spent you know, years running around to libraries, presidential libraries, and, for example, the George Bush Senior Library had one document. And I got, I got whatever it is, 50 million pages, one document. And here Clinton's got 1,000 pages, and this is in one agency. So I got all these, these documents and started going through these documents and wrote up. Uh, in, if you go to my Clinton section, you'll see I've got about eight different sections. And I go through section one, two, three, four, five, six. Six is on Hillary Clinton, part, part six. And that talks about Hillary Clinton's involvement. And what we found out in there, and this is something that I have now filed, I think it was 100, about 100 Free Information Act requests with the Clinton Library, and those documents became open as of January the 20th of last year. And what happened there was that the, all the documents, there's a big scandal now that they're saying, well, the Clinton, the Hillary Clinton stuff probably won't be released until after uh, she beca the president is elected. So, of course, then everybody figures there's a big scandal, Hillary's withholding her files. And what I'm after is all the the Clinton stuff, not so much Hillary, but both the, the Clintons, because the Clintons were very interested in UFOs. And there's a and number of Lawrence things. Lawrence Rockefeller, correct? Lawrence Rockefeller. Yeah, who had, let us uh, know a little about that. Yeah, he had gotten interested in the whole UFO subject, 
and he was sort of the Rockefeller who was the humanitarian. He was very interested in ecology. He was with the Teton Forest protecting the, the, the stuff that the Rockefellers owned there. Uh, he, was, uh, he had a philosophy degree from Princeton. He was sort of the, the guy that was into this kind of stuff, and he was interested in uh, paranormal type stuff. But he got interested in Roswell uh, based upon something someone talking to about Roswell. He became interested. So he, uh, being a big Democratic supporter, uh, contacted the White House and wanted to talk to the president and said, you know, Tampa is very simple. Let's declassify UFOs. What's the big deal? Let's, let's tell people what's going on. And he was intercepted by this office, the Office of Science and Technology Policy. They, they wouldn't let him get to the president, but because he's such a big guy, uh, finance guy, they put him on to the science advisor to the president. And basically what, what it came down to is he said, I want it all declassified. The, the President Clinton's science advisor said, well, and this according to the documents that they released, was to say, well, we really, um, if, it's, if it's as widespread a conspiracy and a cover-up, that you think it is, well, then uh, there's no chance we're ever going to get to it. Just pick one case, Mr. Rockefeller, and we'll go after that one case. We'll get that one case declassified, and then we'll go after the rest of it. And so Rockefeller thought and said, okay, we'll go after Roswell. So that's why in 1994 and again in 1997, the Air Force went and reinvestigated Roswell. That was a green light from the President of the oh. United States to reinvestigate Roswell because this was uh, uh, sort of a... Uh, Rockefeller behind the scenes that they had to deal with. Now, part of the thing was that Rockefeller was doing while he was doing this is he was always threatening to go to the president. He was writing this letter that basically requested officially a letter to the president of the United States to say, I want it declassified. And they always would say, well, no, hang on. Let's, let's, we'll try to answer your questions to Rockefeller. And they would do all sorts of things to try to appease him. And one of the things he was doing is he was sending this letter around to different people, and people were helping him draft this letter to the president. Now, one of the people, and this is in a document, one of the people he thanks for helping him draft the letter and make changes and all this sort of stuff was Hillary Clinton. And <laughs> the, the first day that he went in and, was, and gave this uh, briefing uh, or, um, with, to the uh, science advisor, and this was a briefing that Bruce McAbee was involved in and a number of other people, uh, he stopped, after the briefing, he stopped at Hillary Clinton's office on the way out. So this is the kind of stuff that, that I'm filing for Information Act requests, correspondence between Hillary Clinton and Lawrence Rockefeller, and correspondence between the president and Lawrence Rockefeller, Marie Galbraith and the president. Marie Galbraith ran the program for her. So I, in, in this whole scenario, I know all the people in the Clinton administration who were involved, like, for example, Stephen Greer was who claim to have been briefing a number of people. I've got all those names, so of course we go after the, all those people's files. John Podesta was the chief of staff for Clinton, uh, was very interested in X-Files. One of the documents that's being released, I've got 100 free information I request. 12 have now been released as of Thursday. I, Friday I told them, just photocopy it all, 75 cents a page, just send it to me. They're coming tomorrow or Tuesday, I would expect to get this. One of them is 41 pages from John Podesta's files on UFOs and X-Files. John Podesta was famous in the Clinton administration for being the X-Files man. He had X-Files paraphernalia in his outer office. He was uh, chief of staff to president. And he would always uh, run home and watch the X-Files. He was very fascinated oh, wow. in watching the X-Files. So there's 41 pages. We've got a question here from Go ahead. someone calling in. Uh, Kevin, you've got your hand up in the auditorium. Go ahead and uh, pose your question for Mr. Cameron. Maybe a slight delay. It happens sometimes. Okay. Ah, 
the question? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I can answer the question. There's a very good answer to it. Um, just one of the stories that we were going to discuss tonight is the fact that I was denied access to the United States of America. I was flying to Los Angeles to uh, lecture there. The lecture I was going to give when I was denied access to the United States was the 64 reasons the government has decided not to tell you what's going on. And if you take a look at it, and I have posted the article on my website, 64 reasons they're not telling you, there actually are some pretty, uh, pretty good reasons why they're not. Uh, it really doesn't get you anywhere. It doesn't get you any votes. Um, it's uh, going to probably ca cause the collapse of the stock market if people suddenly find out that oil is worth nothing and that they've had uh, this technology for years. Uh, you're going to have situations where the government really doesn't know what's going on. They may, you may hear all these stories that they've got all this technology and that they have made deals with aliens and all this sort of stuff. The, what I've seen would indicate the government really doesn't know what's going on, especially when it comes to abductions. They have no control over what's going on. And when uh, advice comes out, I'm sure from the think tanks and the inside people that they use, people are going to tell the president, Mr. President, give us another five years, give us another ten years, let's hang on. The more we delay, the more answers we're going to get. We want to fight these people. We don't want to let them in. Whatever is paranoia runs the government. There are, if you take a look, there are a lot of reasons that if you were a president of the United States and someone came in and read you all these, these reasons, you'd be petrified to move. What does it really gain uh -huh. the government? I mean, for you and I, it's, a, it's an interest thing. It's, uh, but if you, it's like in elections. Uh, Steve Bassett ran uh, for Congress on the ET issue. I think his vote was 1.5%. This is not an issue uh, that's going to get you any votes. It's not an issue that's going to win you anything. It's, going to, it's an issue that Dennis Kucinich is now finding out is an issue that sort of makes you the, the laughing stock of the media where they can make jokes about you in cartoons and stuff like that. It really doesn't get you anywhere. I've, I've always said the best thing that could happen for the world of ufology is for gas to go to $20 a gallon. The minute that, that people find out that we're run out of oil, that we've polluted the planet, and that we are in serious trouble and we better do something is the day when this thing will be worth some votes and people will start to float around the fact that that government has the technology, they've always had the technology to, to get us out of the mess we're in, and when it becomes an issue, when people can win votes, then it will become an issue and it will be opened up. Well, we've got to take a break. We'll be back in uh, one more song from Mike Kelly. He's linked from Live from Roswell as my space featured artist of the week, and he's playing in Tulsa, Oklahoma the next two weekends. Back in just a few minutes with Grant Cameron. This presidential candidate walks into a bar in Roswell. Sounds like the beginning of a joke. I know. You know, I'm Guy Malone. You're listening to Live from Roswell. We have Grant Cameron discussing presidential elections and things like that and have to do with UFOs. While we were on break, I got to tell him a short story where uh, about four years ago I met a presidential candidate. His name is Michael Badnarik, libertarian candidate for 2004. Met him in person got him to agree to sit down to a 30-minute interview with me that he allowed me to tape record. And uh, just as Grant and I were talking about it, I went ahead and uh, found the link, and then I've added it to the top of livefromroswell.com. Um, just refresh the screen if you haven't been on there. But I, one of the interesting things that got us talking about it was I actually got a presidential candidate to go on tape with me and say 
that if he were elected president, before he took office, he would sit down and listen to certain experts in the field. And I was I'd just come off a 2004 conference. I'm thinking Richard Dolan, John Greenwald, and all that stuff. But linked from livefromroswell.com right now, um, I actually got him to say, uh, he says to me, you're asking me to sit and listen to these people? I said, yes. Badenberg answered, yeah, I could spend two days listening to that. So if you're interested in that, I don't know if that's the uh, first time that's actually been recorded, but he said himself he was not a believer in uh, UFOs because of the physics of space travel. But he's an honest skeptic. And Grant, since we were talking about it, the link's up on livefromroswell.com right now. But you were continuing a story and um, that had to do uh, at the end of, of working with Hillary Clinton. You're hoping, or you're saying she's hoping she never gets asked that UFO question that Richardson and Kuchinik and Guliana, Guliani have had to face recently, yeah. right? Because she does have a, a severe interest. One of the other things I found, like there, we have the, the document that sort of indicates that she may have helped draft this letter on disclosure to, to her husband, the president. Uh, but one of the things that I discovered uh, while I was working on this whole thing and interviewing different people, I interviewed uh, William Laparle, who used to be a sort of a prominent researcher from Maine who had worked with uh, Pandolfi, who was the guy from the CIA, had done some small jobs for him and stuff. He didn't work with the CIA, but uh, uh, just helped out in a few capacities. Sort of had everybody believe he had this inside track. And I interviewed Laparle. This was going back when these documents first came out, and Laparle had requested the same documents. And at that point, he suddenly tells me the story about Hillary Clinton. He said she was particularly interested at one point, and she was asking lots of questions. And he indicated that she had come to him. And so when I mentioned that I, some people didn't, most people didn't believe Hillary was in the loop, he stated she was almost an equal mover on him with this. I would not give any more weight at all on this UFO thing. If anything, she may have had, she may have slightly been pushing more than he was. That's the way I read the situation. And he had the inside track. He said that Hillary had, through a, a second person, had come and tried to get information from him about UFOs. And we do know that uh, Pandolfi, who was LaParle's friend, was the guy who was asked to write when the science advisor... Um, Gibbons was confronted with the fact that Rockefeller was coming into the room, he went to the CIA to get a briefing on UFOs, and it was Pandolfi who was the guy who was supposed to give the briefing, and he was supposed to provide the information, which is kind of a, a catch-22. The CIA isn't involved in UFOs, so Pandolfi couldn't give us briefing. So basically, he got uh, uh, sort of sloughed the whole thing off to uh, Maccabee, John Maccabee, uh, not Ma I don't know if Kimmer's first name, Maccabee, to write this briefing. But anyway, that, that story went on that Hillary had made this contact. And then I'm working down the road, and, and I, I'm doing an interview with, I heard that Daryl Sims had been contacted by Hillary. And Daryl Sims was the, uh, the alien hunter, and I really had had no contact with him. I just phoned him out of the blue. I said, you know, uh, I heard that you were contacted by Hillary. And he said, well, yeah. He said, I was lecturing one time, he said, and this woman came up and she was very interested in my, my video uh, stuff on abductions and implants and this sort of, sort of stuff, and she said that she was a friend of Hillary's, and she wanted this material for Hillary and the president. So he provided these uh, uh, videos, and later on she, this woman came back to some lecture and reappeared and said, 
they were very interested in your, in your in your stuff. So this is a second incident where Hillary has, has come to a researcher to try to get information. Then it happened to me, and I can't really get into much detail because this is this is still it just happened last September. I was contacted by a major researcher who was doing a lecture in um, Martha's Vineyard, is where the, the the Clintons hang out. They have their holidays and stuff. All the rich Democrats hang out there. And this was an estate of a friend of, of Bill and Hillary, and this person had been called in to give a lecture, a private UFO lecture, to this very famous person. This researcher phones me and says, I'm going back again, and I'm, I'm able to take another researcher with me. And this person said, I respect your work. I'd like you to be the person who's going to give the lecture. And I said, well, you know, I really can't get in the States. I don't know if I can get a visa and all this sort of stuff. And I said, you know, it, it sounds interesting, but I have to find out. Never did get the uh, invitation, but what I was told is that a couple of the people who would probably or who might be at the lecture would be Walter Cronkite, who's friends of the Clintons, and Hillary Clinton. So here, again, it's sort of like I'd heard these stories about Hillary trying to get information, and basically what it came down to, and this is just my reading of the situation, was that the Clintons had, according to Parle, had been running around asking admirals, anybody who they could talk to, uh, what about UFOs, what's going on? They were asking Hubble. They were sending different people inside the administration out looking for answers. And they really couldn't get anything. So basically they were stuck having to try to get information from researchers. So indirectly through second, secondary people, they were uh, gathering information. Now, one of the indications that I got as to why, because usually it's like myself, usually there's a reason why they're interested in UFOs. And this is a story that, uh, to the day I die, I'll regret that I did not get the woman's name. I was lecturing, this is about three years ago in Ozark. I lecture there every year. And I was lecturing there, and I was lecturing on the Clintons, because it's a very popular subject. This is Arkansas, in uh, Eureka Springs, Arkansas. Lots of Arkansas people there, lots of people who have mm-hmm. indirect contacts with the uh, with that, uh, the Clintons. And a woman came up to me. She was a, uh, an older lady. She'd be in her 60s, a uh, very heavy-set lady, uh, looked like your grandmother or whatever, came up and said, I just wanted to tell you that uh, Bill and Hillary had a UFO sighting. It was either Bill or Hillary or somebody very close to Bill and Hillary. This is the late 1970s. And she identified who she was. She was related to somebody, and I really can't get into this because I never did confirm the link, but somebody who is in Bill and Hillary's past, this was the sister of this person. So I said to her, I said, because, you know, after a lecture, you've got, like, piles of people around you, and you're sort of pressed. I gave her my business card, and I said, would you please write me, phone me, and tell me the story. She said, I'm going to check with my sister, who is the person who told the story and, and was involved in this, and I will confirm this, this story about Bill and Hillary. And, of course, she never, she never got back to me. And then I went to uh, the guy who ran the conference, Lou Farish, and I was trying to describe this woman. Do you know who this woman was? Uh, do you, and we, we tried to figure out who this woman was, but never did. And I, maybe one of these days I'll get uh, regressed and get her name tag. She had a name tag <laughs> as to who this woman right. was. But here, here's a story that Bill and Hillary may actually have had a sighting in the late 1970s. So Hillary has a lot of interest in the subject, and, and I have 100 Free Information Act requests in, and I have 1,000 pages of documents already that show that the Clintons were very interested. They forced a new uh, investigation into Roswell and basically got nothing. 
which led to the famous 1995 speech by Bill at the um, uh, Belfast, Northern Ireland, where Ireland. he stood up and said, uh, uh, he, re- he reads this letter from Ryan, which when I, uh, one of the Free Information Act requests I give is I want the letter from Ryan. This letter is referred, I want to see Ryan's letter. And of course now they're saying there is no such letter. We didn't, we don't have a letter and I've asked for the actual speech, all the drafts of the speech, and Bill stands up in this speech and he says, uh, I want to read a letter from Ryan. Ryan, if you're out in the audience there tonight, here is the answer to your question. No, as far as I know, our UFO did not crash in Roswell, New Mexico. But if it did, and there was bodies, they didn't tell me about it either, and I'd like to know. And this is a story I've told people numerous times, and people, it's sort of like a light coming on. In 1994, the U.S. Air Force did an investigation of Roswell. They came out and said there's nothing to it, it was mogul balloons, all this nonsense, whatever. And then suddenly, in 1997, they do a second Roswell study, and, the, and nobody's ever put it together. It was because in 1995, Bill stood up in, in Belfast, Northern Ireland, and said, if there was bodies, they didn't tell me about it, and I want to know. Air Force and you Sport. asked for the files to say see that letter from Ryan. So you're saying Bill Clinton made it up to make a point? Yeah. So, and what had happened was the first report had come out. The draft report of the first Roswell report from the Air Force had come out, and it basically said it was mogul or whatever, but it didn't talk about the bodies. So Bill Clinton says, if there were bodies, they didn't tell me about it either, and I'd like to know. And this is a shot across the bow. This is the way you do it. You can't directly come out and challenge them, but in public they challenged them. So in 1997, the, the Air Force, and this why, explains why they did a second Roswell study, the 1997 study deals with the bodies, and it comes up with this nonsense about 1953 or 54, they drop these dummies out of the plane, and people's minds are all mixed up at the time, and this is the answer to the president. The 1997 study is, here's the answer, Mr. President, to the bodies. And so they do the second study that talks about dropping dummies out of planes, because the first Roswell report in put out by the Air Force in 1995 does not talk about the bodies. Wow. Yeah, and as everyone, I think, listening to the show knows, their answer of those crash test dummies, they were invented in the 50s. Exactly. Yeah, but it really didn't matter. It was sort of, and that, that's where it sort of came down to the fact that the president really couldn't get anything, and they just sort of gave up. That they, they tried to get to the bottom of it, they tried to get the answer, and whatever it was, Stephen Greer says it's the psychological profile of the president, that they didn't trust him because he wanted to gaze in the military, and they, they just hated the guy, and they weren't going to tell him, or it was because he was a Democrat, or uh, that he, he had too many scandals going on that they could blackmail him and get the answer, or they didn't trust him to keep the secret, or whatever it was. It, it does now appear that Bill and Hillary, or Bill Clinton tried to get the answer and was denied the answer to the UFO uh, mystery. Actually, I still want to hear the the quick story about how you were denied entry to the U.S. to lecture on this. But beforehand, I got your email. Um, someone asked already, is that the paper that Grant referenced earlier, 64 Reasons Why He Believes the Government Would Not Disclose This. Uh, he sent me the link to that. And just If you can't find it on his site, refresh, livefrostable.com. And it, it's uh, underneath his name where I've got a big yellow lettering underneath where it says Grant Cameron. You can actually read the draft of the paper that he was going to present. But uh, a couple of years back, Grant, you consulted, did some writing for a History Channel special. Yes. That dealt with presidents and UFOs. I remember all that back then. And you were scheduled to speak at NUFOC, the UFO conference in Hollywood, uh, shortly after that. And you didn't make it, as I recall. 
Yeah, I call it my $610 breakfast. I, I flew from uh-huh. Winnipeg, and now I know better that to, to make sure you go across the border that's close to you. I flew from Winnipeg to uh, Vancouver, Canada, to make a, a, a link there to Los Angeles. And I got there, and I had I've done this numerous times. I made lots of lectures. You get your little $150 honorarium, whatever it is. And being the nice guy, I went and went through screening from... Uh, Homeland Security, people who run the uh, place there, and the woman took all the details. You've lectured in the U.S. several times on topics like this. Yeah. And so I figured this was no big deal, and I basically had the pamphlet and basically told her what the honorarium was and uh, what I was going to lecture on, and this whole sort of story. She took all the sort of notes and said, well, you've got to go to this office. So I went... Uh, to the Homeland Security people and to uh, uh, an agent who was very rude, very uh, sort of, uh, I don't even know how you describe it. It was like he was having a bad day. And he basically went through this whole thing and he said, well, you can't just come into the United States and lecture. This is, uh, you can't do this. And I said, well, this is what, it's $150 on a aim. What's the big deal? I've done this numerous times. I've gone across. It's no big deal. And uh, he said, well, we'll guarantee that. We'll make sure that doesn't happen again. And then I'm thinking to myself, holy cow, this, this is for real. And basically, and a lot of people interpreted that, the fact that now I was on a list and they were going to make sure that I wouldn't lecture in there again. And I'm thinking to myself, well, you know, maybe it's got to do with the, the lecture. Or maybe this guy's just having a bad day. And uh, I said to him, well, it's a, it's, it's a small honorarium, and people do this all the time. They go across. And he said, you're not a professor. Don't even go there, because I work at the University of Manitoba, but I'm not a professor. I'm a facilities manager there. But he said, you're not a professor. Don't even go there. He cut it off, because he knew that like, professors can go and give uh, one-day lectures. Ah. They get a small honorarium, and they don't necessarily have to have a, a work visa. A work visa was so, their main point. Yeah, so this is basically what he was, he was getting me on, is that I didn't have a work visa. And uh, as I said, I've done numerous lectures. So at the point then he had this little sheet, the Homeland Security on the top, and he, he, there's no name on it, just has his number. He has an a, a, a inspector number, and he hands it back to me, and he says, you've been denied access to the United States of America. And then he turns around, he starts laughing, and he's talking to some guys behind him, whatever. And I stood there for like a minute or whatever, and I'm waiting, I'm waiting, waiting. And, and then he turns back to me, and I says, well, what do I do now? And he said, I don't care what you do. Go back where you came from. And I went, holy cow. So I turned around. I walked out of the room. And, and there, was some, there was some guy sitting at a desk outside, the, outside this office. And I said to the guy, I've just been denied access to the United States. What, what do I do? And he says, well, you've got to get back to the Air Canada desk. And I said, well, where's that? He says, well, I can't really help you. I'll just get you to back to the main floor. This is up on the second floor. It took him a few minutes. They got me into an elevator. And they just sort of unloaded me. Uh, on the main floor, and then I was, Vancouver is a huge airport. I'm sitting there trying to find the, the, the flight to get back. Uh, had no, My baggage went back through security and no problems there. And um, then uh, got big trouble from Air Canada because I didn't tell them I was missing the flight to Los Angeles. I said I could care less about the flight to Los Angeles. Yeah. And, and at that point, I'm trying to get back on the flight to Winnipeg, and I go through the, the scanner and suddenly my computer comes up positive for explosives. And at that point, I figured, like, this has got to be a setup, man. And then I get pulled again from the line, and some guy asking me all these questions, and when was the last time you touched explosives, and this and that, and all this sort of stuff. And what that turned out to be after 20 or 25 minutes of questioning and figuring now I'm about to be arrested, this time by the Canadians, uh, basically it was that I'd, 
I have a Dell computer, and I had had the hard drive replaced. I had it shipped out two days before, and I guess they must have been using some sort of solvent to clean the computer or whatever, and this had come up positive. So basically, I have gone now to um, an immigration lawyer, spent big money on an immigration lawyer based upon advice from different researchers in the United States, and have basically been told I can't get a visa to the United States. It's basically a crapshoot. I can uh, go to the border, and it's up to the, uh, the guy whether he's having a good day or a bad day, whether I'm going to be denied. And so what I've now done is the... the, the yeah, we're down to like a minute and a half. Yeah, I'll okay. Ask you, what's your plans for 2008? We well, basically, because, because they got me on the, on the, 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 the whole deal of, of, of the money, is now I lecture free. So if somebody has a lecture they want me to give, I basically put it on my agenda, and if I can make it, I make it. Uh, I'm going to be lecturing at the Ozark in in April. I pay my own expenses. I pay my own hotel. And Ozark, no U.S.A. And uh, Washington is at the same time, so I'll go down there. And I told them, uh, you can put me on the uh, on the agenda, or and I may show up, I may not. I'll probably get across, because I can't really see any reason why I mean, it's based, the basic... Uh, tenant of American democracy is the freedom to assemble and the freedom to say what you want. And basically, I haven't violated on those rights. People can have a UFO conference anytime they want. And as long as I'm getting paid, I can't see why they would keep me out. And if they do, then I think we have a real serious issue that I think you follow just Okay, with, with so if on. you have to pay your own expenses to come and we can't pay you, but you and I might talk about Roswell this summer. Then we'll see if we yeah. can get you here. See, to me, I'm not a poor guy, but I'm not—I'm not a rich <laughs> guy, but I'm not by a long shot a poor guy. I mean, I can afford, and I move around. I'll be in Florida. I'll be in Hawaii next month or in January, and anytime I'm in the area, uh, I will lecture, and I have my PowerPoint stuff. I have lots of stuff, and uh, I'm determined to keep the thing going. So that's where it well, stands. Thank you very much for joining us tonight, and uh, yeah, we may have you back on because I know you've got a FOA ICE document pending. This was Grant Cameron. He is linked from livefromroswell.com. You can read tons of stuff about presidents and UFOs on his websites. I will thank you folks once again for joining us on livefromroswell.com. God willing, I'll be back next week with another interesting person. Maybe not as interesting as Grant, but I'll do my best. Thanks to everyone for tuning in.